0: Amen. We want to continue today in our series um, uh, studies in First Peter's about exiles, and uh, I want to just ask the Lord's blessing upon our time, and then we'll go right into the Word uh, this morning. Uh, I mean, and please forgive me as I fiddle with this microphone. Uh, Dexter's ears are bigger than mine, so that's... <laughs> so he had it on last week. So I just just want to throw that out there. Amen. <laughs> Uh, Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time of sharing. Uh, We thank you that you have brought us together uh, once again for your word. We pray that uh, your word would go forth, the gospel would be made plain, and that what we say and do will be pleasing in your sight. This we pray through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. 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 Uh, This is a very interesting uh, text in our study in 1 Peter. In it is a wonderful description. If you look at First Peter chapter two, verses four through eight. That's where we are this morning. First Peter chapter two verses four through eight. We want to talk from this thought today. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? Look at your neighbor and say, Neighbor, who is Jesus to you? Now, that seems like an odd question to ask in church, but but I want to go through this text because it's a very interesting text today. And uh, uh, as we look at this study, and it's a wonderful description in this text of our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. Uh, Peter engages his audience of spiritual exiles with a dynamic description of Jesus using an analogy they would easily understand. Peter describes our Lord in what might be considered construction terminology, because he uh, he says he's a living stone, a cornerstone, and then also a stumbling stone. At first glance, we note the irony of one whose name was changed by Jesus from Simon to Peter, which means rock, by the way, describing our Lord as a stone. But upon further review, it's actually a stroke of literary genius for Peter to draw upon the manner by which the Lord viewed his own life. In the, in the well-quoted exchange in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus gives Peter perhaps what is the foundation of Peter's description here in 1 Peter of, uh, of Jesus. In Matthew 16 and 18, we read these words. And uh, Jesus is saying, he says, and I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now Peter knew from this conversation that he was not the rock upon which the church would be built. On the contrary, the rock was was who Peter now describes as the living stone. Now, thankfully, my brothers and sisters, God, in his infinite wisdom, chose not to build his church upon any human being or their ancestors or even exceptional human beings. I'm glad about that. I trace my family tree and I'm like, God, I'm so glad you didn't build your church on us. And we, we have some exceptional human beings in our family, if I don't mind saying so myself. You know, I just, I got an uncle that's sitting back there. That's a retired professor from Arizona State all the way here from Phoenix, Arizona. Let's give him a hand. Yeah. Got some exceptional folks. But, but yet in all of that, God chose not to build his church on any human being. And what a wonderful choice that was. Now, let us read this text now and visualize the imagery that Peter uses to describe our Lord so that we might wrestle with just who Jesus is to each of us. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 8, from the English Standard Version, read thusly. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Verse 6 says, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone. of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Now, let us note the encouraging manner by which Peter introduces this next section of his letter. He writes, As you come to him. By using this phrase, Peter teaches us that as believers in Jesus Christ, we now enjoy a great privilege once reserved only for the priest of the temple in the Old Testament. We can now come to Christ or draw near to him. Available to us in this Faith relationship is the blessing of being able to to be close to our Lord, which is a a relational value that was broken by Adam's sin. And that, that value that was broken has now been restored by the blood of Christ, shed on behalf of those who would believe. How awesome is that? How wonderful it is to be close to God. Now, we can be close to people. We can be close to family. We can be close to friends. But there is nothing like drawing near to God. Amen. Amen. Drawing near and close to God. Being able to say that God is is close. I'm close to him. Can you imagine what it must have been like for Adam prior to sin? The Bible said he and God walked together through the garden. They They had this close, intimate relationship. And so now, because of blood of Christ, we are now also encouraged to have that relationship. So Peter says, as you Come to Him as you are coming to Him with your worship, with your praise, as you are coming to Him acknowledging who He is, as you come to Him. An interesting dynamic occurs when we come close to God, when we draw near to Him. And various scriptures describe that dynamic. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, we read these words, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Oh, I get excited when I hear that. See, sinners don't always get excited when you draw near to the throne of grace. Amen? He says, let us draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Hebrews 7 and 25 say these words. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Since he always lives. To make intercession for them. How wonderful is that? We come to God, get close to God through Jesus because he is able to save us and he always lives to make intercession for us. James chapter 4 and verse 8 says this. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Look at the blessings of getting close to the Lord. Amen. He says cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Make up your mind who you're going to serve. Amen. Amen. What team are you on? That's another sermon for another day. Okay. And so, if you did not know it, God has a great desire for his people to be close to him. The purpose of Christ and his cross was to pave the way for a holy God to be in relationship with messy, unholy, selfish, and sinful people. That's love. Look at somebody say, that's love. That's love. That's love. That's love. That's love. So Peter describes Christ to us using the imagery of a stone to share three analogies of who Jesus is. We should be careful to note that even Christians sometimes walk without the sure knowledge of who Jesus really is. Therefore, we inhibit our growth and hinder our own discipleship. We cannot truly become who God intends for us to be without understanding who Christ is. For we, as his body of believers, share some attributes... With Christ. So, who do we believe Christ to be? To understand this relationship between Christ and His church, let us look at Peter's description of Christ and analyze how this affects each one of us as believers or how it affects those who might be unbelievers. First thing Peter says, he calls Jesus a living stone. In verses 4 and 5, you read these words of First Peter 2. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Now, now Peter describes Jesus as a living stone, which is interesting because normally stones do not possess animation. I walk up to my house and it starts talking to me. We're going to have a problem. (laughs) So stones are not something that you think of. Bricks don't normally speak. But in the case of our Lord, Peter reveals that the Lord Jesus is a rock. But a rock that is alive. Watch this now. Peter alludes here To our Lord's resurrection. Clearly refuting lingering heresies that questioned whether Jesus truly rose from the dead. Even in those days... Closer to the resurrection. People were still doubting whether or not he arose, whether he got up from the dead. They were still doubting this. And Peter wanted to refute those heresies. Peter wanted these spiritual exiles to rest assured that their faith was not in vain. For they believe in and serve a risen Savior. Who conquered death. Oh, you ought to give God some praise right there. Be assured that the Savior you serve is truly alive. The tomb is truly empty. You can go where Muhammad is buried and he's still there. You can go where Buddha is buried. He's still there. You can go where Confucius is buried and he's still there. But when you go to... That tomb in Judea, and if you roll away that stone and go in, that grave is empty, because graves are for dead folks. Jesus is alive. now now, in comparison, not that peter also he, note, note here that Peter also refers to believers. By writing that we are like living stones. We have essentially been raised from the cold, hard death that sin brought to this new life in Christ. To become stones that live and cry out towards his praise. Now, what does that mean? Remember when Jesus was, was, was uh, uh, marching in the triumphal entry and, and, and they said, oh, you know, these people ought to be quiet and all this stuff. And Jesus says, uh-uh, don't tell them to be quiet because if they're quiet, oh, I wish I had somebody here. If they're quiet, these stones would cry out. I'm so glad to be a stone today. As a living stone, we cry out in his praise. So he is, so he's the big stone. The rock of our salvation. But we are living stones. Now I want to tell you something here. Because some people have taken this text. And they said oh it means that we're a chip off the block. You know my father's name is Raymond Dick Sr. And people tell me I look like him. And all that kind of stuff. You know you're just a chip off the old block. But let me tell you something. When you chip a block it loses something. Oh, y'all, y'all see where I'm going now, don't you? When you chip off that block, it loses something. I'm not a chip off the block of Jesus. I have been miraculously a recipient of his presence through the Holy Spirit in my life. So every person he inhabits, he loses nothing of who he is. He transplants his nature. Into us without losing a thing. Peter also says. Peter also says that Jesus as a living stone. Is rejected by men. But precious and chosen by God. As believers Peter reminds us. That Jesus is precious. Or highly valued and esteemed by the father. That's what that word precious means. It's precious. My my wife has a wedding ring that's precious to her. I have a ring, a wedding ring that's precious to me. It's highly valued and esteemed. If either of us leave the house without it, <laughs> look, Jones, look at meter right there. It's going to be a problem, girl. That's right. <laughs> And so you have things that, but but God sees Jesus, and he and he sees Jesus as precious, more precious than anything is Jesus. And Peter wants to remind us of that—that that he's held in the highest of esteem, and and he and just as he's that way to the Father, he ought to be held in high esteem and value by those of us who believe in him. Yet Peter also. Re- Alludes to another comparative fact here. He says Jesus was rejected. Rejected. And in comparison, so too is rejection by men likely the lot of those who trust in Jesus. Now, Paul puts it this way. He writes of this dynamic of being rejected by men in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. Here's what he says. He says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down but not destroyed. Always caring about in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. I'm dying every day so Jesus can live. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Now, now Paul talks about that having been one. Who's experienced great persecution. In his own life. And let me tell you something. If you're not connecting to that. I ask you. How much trouble are you stirring up in the world? How much are you talking about Jesus. Because as he was rejected by men, so too will we be rejected by men. Don't look to make peace with a world that rejected your Savior. Tell them the truth. Preach the gospel. Let them too see the greatness of your Savior. But don't try to make peace with those who reject Christ. They're enemies of God how much more will they be enemies of his children? They don't like my daddy. They're not going to like me. Amen. So praise be to God that we have the encouragement that all is not in vain. We are being built up into a spiritual house according to this text. Now, built up into the dwelling place of God, not individually only. I want you to get this. Because in Western civilization, as one commentator wrote, we have a tendency to individualize everything. And so we think, okay, yes, I'm personally being built up into this spiritual house and I'm going to be holier than everybody else. I'm built up. I, 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 I. And God is saying, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about my entire body. You are in connection to you're just one brick in the building. Amen. <laughs> I know some of us think we're the whole building, don't we? <laughs> but you're you just one little brick in a building. The Lord had to remind Elijah of that, didn't he? <laughs> Lord said, he said, I'm the only one. The Lord said, I got 7,000 people haven't haven't bowed down the bell. Man, you're not the only one. And so we understand that there's not just individual, but the body of Christ is this new temple replacing the temple of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the temple was served by priests. In this new uh, temple, the, the priests are believers. The Old Testament priests are the only ones who had access in the old temple through the church, the new priesthood. We demonstrate that all who believe can have access to our God. Now you see why it's important as to how we live. Now you see why it's important that we live righteously. And Peter called us earlier in in this letter to holy living. Be holy because he is holy. Because we are this new temple. Think about it. There are some things that you would never think of doing In here. In the hood, we call this the sanctuary. (laughs) You would never think of doing some things in here. Well, let me tell you something. You belong to a worldwide body of Christ and you are this new temple, so you shouldn't think of doing those things anywhere. That sends somebody into shock. I know that. And so so it's important how we live. Now, the second part of this this text, second thing that that Peter describes Jesus, as he says, Jesus, the cornerstone. Now, we move from living stone to cornerstone. In verse 6, for it stands in Scripture, behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So Peter turns his attention to quoting here Isaiah 28 verses 16 through 17, and here's what it says. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, behold, I'm the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste, and I will make justice the line and righteousness the plumb line. Look at all these construction terms. And hell will sweep away the refuge of lies, and waters will overwhelm the shelter. Jesus is the cornerstone of our spiritual house. Now, what is a cornerstone? In the ancient building practices, the cornerstone, and even yet today, uh, was the principal stone placed at the corner of the edifice. Everything, everything depended on the correct placement of the cornerstone. The building could not be solidly built without the cornerstone in the right place. Now, Peter here says, "Jesus is the cornerstone of this spiritual house, this new temple, and I challenge you today to think about what would it be like if Jesus was truly the cornerstone of the church if oh yes, yeah, see you don 't want to say anything that do you if we really considered him the head corner that where everything depended on his placement in our church. If we really believe that, that our lives were so connected to him that everything was about him. Instead, our churches have become places where it's really about our felt needs. Oh, Yeah. We come to worship, we shop for a preacher that preaches the way we want them to preach. Huh? We shop for a choir that sings the way we want them to sing. Huh? And I'm not saying that you should not use wisdom in choosing the place where you worship. But what I am saying, that we must remember above all things, that this is really all about him. Let me, let me put it to you this way. If you're, if you're, let me tell you why we don't have anniversaries and all that kind of stuff. You think God, who is infinite in time, really cares about you counting another year? <laughs> I, I mean, think about that for a minute. You know, oh, we going to invite everybody to our 95th church anniversary. Really? The church has existed in the heart and minds of God for eternity. Do you think he's impressed because you hung around here with a, with a sign with your church name on it for 95 years? What, what's more impressive to him is if in 95 years, how many people have come to know the Lord because you've been at that location? <laughs> oh, I'm in trouble now. <laughs> Jesus, this, <laughs> the next thing, Jesus is the cornerstone of the spiritual house. Okay, so now the cornerstone was also usually one of the largest The most solid and the most carefully constructed stones of any edifice. The next thing is, and look at verse 6 again. The latter part says, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So verse 7 says, so the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builder rejected has become the cornerstone. Now watch this. God has chosen Jesus as the cornerstone of his church. And Peter here reminds believers that there is no shame in the Lord's game. No shame. There is no shame in believing Christ. There's no shame. Knowing who Christ really is removes all shame. We need not be ashamed before the world because we know that all things hinge upon him. As believers, stop letting people make you ashamed of your relationship with God. People come around your desk at your job. you reading your Bible. Don't close it up. Matter of fact, get bold. Put it right there on top of your work. <laughs> huh? <laughs> you know, if you really, want, you really want to shake them up, go and get happy for a minute at your desk. <laughs> huh? Get your shout-on at your desk. I'm just saying. They'll, they'll be like, oh, my God. Don't be ashamed. What's wrong with you? Hallelujah. I'm saying praise the Lord. Thank God I was just reading what he did for me. Don't be ashamed. See, there's no shame in Christ. As a result of knowing him also, not only is there no shame, but there is an honor that God gives to us who would believe. Paul writes it like this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. He says, but God... Being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Now watch this. All of this is because God is rich in mercy and because he loves us. He says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive. Oh, I wish I had some alive folks today. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Verse 6 says, and raised us up. Look at this. Look at what God is doing. And raised us up. There would be no need to raise you up if you weren't down. (laughs) Sin brought us down. Sin took us low. God says that through Christ, because of my love and by grace, I'm going to save you. But I'm not just going to save you. I'm going to lift you out of that muck and mire that you've been hanging out in. I'm going to take you out of the dirt. Look at what he says. And raised us up with him. And seated us with him. Now you know you're in a place of honor. When you sit next to God, (laughs) see, some of us have been backstage with the VIP pass. You know how we go. You know, just think for a minute back in your former life. I know you don't do that now, but, you know, you got a VIP pass on and you want everybody to see it. VIP. That's right. I'm going backstage right after the concert. I'm going right back there to hang out with the one who is doing the concert because it's a place of honor. And VIP says you have a place of honor. But I came to tell you today that there is a place of honor that's better than a backstage pass. There's a place of honor that you have with Jesus Christ that you will not just get for an evening, but for all eternity. There's this place of honor. He says he raised us up and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God has lifted us to this position of honor. So Jesus Christ, the cornerstone for which this spiritual house is being built Everything hinges on him. Now, the last depiction that we have here in this text is that not only is he a living stone, not only is he a cornerstone, but he is also a stumbling stone. Look at somebody and say stumbling stone. stone. Look at this. Look at this. First Peter 2, 7 and 8. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Look at verse 8. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. For those who reject Christ, he is a stone of stumbling. Peter alludes to the fact that all the streets... In his day, think about Fifth Avenue right here, We're made of stones laid side by side. That's how they, you ever seen a cobblestone street? I was in Topeka, Kansas, and they still have in the old section of town, all the streets are cobblestone in nature. Now, let me tell you something about cobblestone streets. Every now and then, as the stones begin to settle, one of them would be higher than the other. And if you're not careful, you walking down a cobblestone street, you will trip over one of those stones that's higher than the other. And in that day, that's what, that's what would happen. The stones would settle or they would break away or whatever the case may be. And that stone would become a stumbling stone. And people would trip over it as they walked. They would stumble. Now watch this. For those who who reject the gospel, Christ is the stumbling stone. As a matter of fact, I would go so far to say that even for those of us who have received Jesus, he was initially a stumbling stone. Because you were walking and sailing and going through life in your sins and all of this, and all of a sudden somebody said, Jesus said, boom. You trip because someone shared the gospel with you and on your pathway of life, that word became a stumbling stone for you. Now, for those who don't believe he is a stone of stumbling, they stumble. Why? Because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Peter speaks comfort to the hearts of those who believe. By saying in essence that all things are under the sovereign control of God. Even the disobedient are under the control of God. This is why you don't have to do anything but pray for your enemies. You don't have to do anything but pray for those that mistreat you. Because even their lives, do you really think that God relinquished control of the whole world just because we sinned? Not at all. God maintains sovereign power and control of everything, even unbelievers' destiny. So as as they disobeyed the word, as they rejected Christ, Peter says that their destiny was still in the hands of God. God knew that they would reject him. He knew that they would disobey the word. And yet, even then, Christ still became a stumbling stone for them. And so, my brothers and sisters, don't dismay. God is in control of all things. As you draw near to him, as you come to him, stop worrying about what unbelievers are doing. Stop worrying about the fact that they scandalize your name. Stop worrying about the fact that they uh, uh, are building a poor reputation uh, uh, or, or going against your reputation. Stop worrying about all of that. And focus your heart and minds on drawing near to him and sharing the gospel. The more they talk about you, share the gospel. The more they treat you poorly, share the gospel. The more they try to hurt you, remember that he stood there and hung on a cross for your sake. There's a message in his dying. But the message is not just in his dying. The message is also in his living. For he is not a dead stone. He is a living stone. And a living stone that's a cornerstone. And if you're not careful, a stumbling stone. You are may reject Christ. If you're here today and you haven't received him, but you will not skip Christ. You may say, I have no time for the church, the word, the gospel. I don't want to hear it. But you cannot skip him. For you, he has become a stone of stumbling. Because as soon as you hear that gospel, As soon as you know that he died for your sins and rose again to bring you into this faith relationship with God, if you would believe your life is never going to be the same. You may reject him, but you will sentence yourself to everlasting death, which is hell. Now, it would be a shame to catch hell on earth. And then die and go there. I'm just saying. So I finish with this. Who is Jesus to you? A living stone? The cornerstone? Or a stumbling stone? What will you say when they ask you, who is he? Will you say that he is my living stone? He is a cornerstone of the spiritual house known as his body. And for all those who do not believe, he is a stone of stumbling. That, my brothers and sisters, is the message we must take into our hearts, grow as disciples, and share with a dying world. He is who he says he is. Peace. Yes.